This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. This is episode number 56, and we're looking at Genesis 4.8. Hey, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, last year or so, you may recall that as we were working our way through Genesis 2 and 3, I kept mentioning the six revolutionary and foundational truths from these chapters. And if you are following along, you might recall that we've only looked at five of them so far. Hadn't really mentioned too much about the six, and maybe you thought I forgot about it. Well, have no fear. (laughs) I didn't. We are looking at the sixth revolutionary and foundational truth today. Maybe you just did completely forget about it. That's okay. I'll review the five, actually all six for you, as we take a look at the sixth and final revolutionary truth from Genesis 4.8. And uh, these six truths help you understand pretty much everything, God, yourself, your relationships, politics, you've been trying to figure out what's going on in the political world today, Uh, history, economics, uh, pretty much everything that goes on. All right, Uh, before we look at this verse, though, uh, have have you started taking my gospel course, Gospel According to Scripture? If you like these podcasts, I predict you will also like my online courses. My online courses are audio-based courses. I record theology discussions, topics. They're basically seminary-level classes in audio format that you can take online. There's also some some online courses or quizzes and, and downloads, even a graduation certificate, completion certificate when you finish the course. It's 21 lessons and 15 hours of instruction. Uh, this past week, one of the students who's taking the course said this, wow, I knew it was deep from the personal study I have done. But Jeremy, you have opened a whole new realm of possibility which truly does make room for free, organic, relational sharing of the good news. Not only that, but in my mind's eye, I saw such excitement begin to ripple outward as the chains of religion fell off. That's a comment from one of the current students, and that's what's going to happen to you too. You struggle with how to share the gospel, or maybe even you have questions about whether or not you yourself have eternal life, listen, this course is for you. I I share with you, first of all, what the gospel is, how you can know you have eternal life, how you know that you are forgiven. And then I also share with you how you can share the gospel with others. All of this is in my course, The Gospel According to Scripture. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash courses to learn more. And uh, the other course, which is listed there, the Gospel Dictionary, that's going to be put out soon. It's not ready yet, but that first course, Gospel According to Scripture, is ready and available for you to begin taking it. So uh, I look forward to seeing you there. But now, let's get on with our study of Genesis 4.8. So in the last episode, I when we looked at verses 6 and 7, I told you about how Genesis 4 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. I said that this chapter helps us understand religion, society, culture, politics, economics, human history, uh, scripture, God, uh, even yourself. Uh, Genesis 4 contains foundational truths about all of this. And I wasn't exaggerating. Uh, I also mentioned that 
even though Genesis 4 is a central chapter of the Bible, verses 6 through 8 are central verses in Genesis 4. And that means that these three verses, Genesis 4, verses 6, 7, and 8, are some of the most important verses in the Bible. Last week, when we looked at verses 6 and 7, we talked about sin. It's the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible. And we talked about how sin is born of desire. And this desire leads us into a rivalry with others. That's the key to sin. Uh, and it's, since it's the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible, th- that verse, those verses give us a significant clue about the great problem, the problem of sin, the problem of humanity, and the problem which Jesus came to deliver us from, from this rivalry born from desire, the desire that was given birth from Adam and Eve. And so as we go today to Genesis 4.8, we're going to see how this problem of desire, which leads to rivalry, how it plays itself out in human relationships. Now, before I do that, though, someone reached out to me on Facebook this past week with an objection to what I had taught in last week's uh, podcast when we looked at sin in Genesis 4, 6, and 7. And I'm not going to read their comment, but basically what she said is, uh, I think it was a she, now that I think about it, I'm not sure she or he. Anyway, if you're listening, you know who you are. This person said that um, even though the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible is Genesis 4, 7, uh, that doesn't mean this is the first sin in the Bible. And they point to Romans 5, 12, where Paul says, just as through one man, and that's Adam he's talking about, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. That's Romans 5.12. So this this Roman or this uh, Facebook commentator, this person contacting me on Facebook, basically said that I was ignorant of the Bible and teaching a false gospel because I ignored what Paul says in Romans 5 and wasn't calling that sin. Now, you go back and listen to it, previous episodes as well. I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, go back and listen to it if you want to, I don't think I've ever said that what Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3 is not sin. I'm just pointing out that the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 4, and because it's mentioned here first, we need to take very careful note of the context in which this sin is mentioned in Genesis 4, because that helps us understand sin in the rest of the Bible. But beyond that, all right, uh, I, I, I think that even Paul is saying the same thing I'm saying. I think Paul, when he wrote Romans 5.12, he actually didn't have Genesis 3 in mind. Instead, he had Genesis 4. Now, why do I say that? Now, yes, Paul is talking about Adam in Genesis or Romans 5, 5.12, just, just as through one man sin entered the world. All right, that's true. Uh, the sin talked about in Genesis 4 did come enter into the world through Adam. I 100% agree with that. But I don't think that Paul was thinking about Genesis 3 necessarily when he wrote this verse. Instead, I believe Paul was thinking about Genesis 4. I don't think Paul was thinking about Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil when he wrote Romans 5.12. I believe, firmly believe, Paul was thinking about Genesis 4.8. And why do I say that? 
Well, Romans 5 is not only talking about sin entering into the world. If that was the case, then yes, I think we would go back and look at Genesis 3. That is when sin entered into the world. But the real problem with sin, the ramifications of sin, the results of sin, that's the big issue in Romans 5. And where do we see that? Well, we see it in in Genesis 4. And the twin issues that Paul is talking about in in Romans 5 is sin and death. And that is exactly the twin issues we see in Genesis 4, 6 and 7, which are talking about sin, and then verse 8, which we're looking at today, which talks about death. The twin problems, human problems of sin and death where sin came from, what happens as a result of of sin, sin leads to death. That's the truth of Genesis 4, 6-8. That is also the truth that Paul is talking about in Romans 5. Right? So, so, bottom line, I 100% agree with what Paul says in Romans 5. I'm not undermining the gospel at all. I believe that sin came through Adam and death through sin, just as what Paul said. What I'm saying, though, is that the first place we really see what this means, how sin, how death came through sin, the first place we see this is Genesis 4, all right? So yes, sin and death are introduced to the world through Adam, but the biblical narrative, the author of Genesis, really only begins to explain what this sin is and what death looks like. When we get to Genesis 4 and the events between Cain and Abel. All right, if you want to understand sin and death, the twin problems that Paul mentions in Romans 5, you don't go to Genesis 3 to see that. You go to Genesis 4. All right, so I I believe that's what Paul had in mind, and I actually think you read through it with Genesis 4 in mind instead of Genesis 3. I I think Romans 5 is going to make a whole lot more sense to you. Someday, if I ever get around to preaching through Romans, teaching uh, through Romans on this podcast, we'll see that in a lot more detail. Anyway, that's all of a side note. Let's get on to our study of Romans 4.8. Um, the verse itself really isn't that difficult to understand. It's just the truths that it reveals which are vastly important. So the verse says this, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and killed him. All right, so in Genesis 4, 7, God warned Cain that sin was crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. Remember that? Uh, God was telling Cain that sin wanted to rule over Cain, but Cain should put sin down, the desire of sin down, and instead rule over it. So here in 4, 8, we see that Cain failed to do that. He did not rule over sinful desire, but he let that sinful desire rule over him instead. And uh, when when he didn't rule over it, what happened? Well, we see here, he went with his brother, Abel, out into a field and killed him. Just to go back a little bit to the book of Romans, after Paul talks about these twin problems of sin and death and how they both came, all right, in Romans 5, He goes on in Romans 6 to talk about being a slave to sin and how being a slave to sin leads to death, that the wages of sin is death. 
All right, so again, these twin concepts of how sin leads to death. Death comes from sin. You you become enslaved. You allow sin to rule over you, as we see here in Genesis 4, 7, and 8. Then, Paul, Romans 5 and 6, it leads to death. The wages of sin is death, right? When Paul is writing those chapters, his magnum opus on the gospel in the book of Romans, he has Genesis 4 in mind. All right? So, you know, when, sometimes we Christians think that, you know, death from old age is the wages of sin. Uh, but look, I, I, I don't think that that is what the Bible is saying. Now, end of Genesis chapter 3, we do see that we are going to die from old age because we no longer have access to the tree of life. God kicked Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity out of the garden. Okay, I get all that. You go back and listen to my podcast on that, though. That's not a curse from God. It's not a punishment. God dying... Uh, it's actually a blessing so that we can be released from these sinful bodies and receive our new glorified bodies, all right? Um, so, so when Paul is talking about the wages of sin is death and how death came to all men, it's slavery to sin and the wage, all that stuff about sin and death, and I don't think he's talking about dying from old age. He's talking about the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible, the first time sin is shown to have enslaved somebody and ruled over somebody and controlled somebody, which is Cain, and then what it does when we become enslaved to it. It leads Cain to murder his brother. Uh, We see the same thing happen a little bit later in Genesis chapter 4 when Lamech kills a boy because the boy hurt him, injured him. So, Uh, The death which Scripture is most concerned about is not the death of humans because humans die of old age, all right? Uh, The sort of death that the Bible is concerned about, that Paul is concerned about, is the death that we see here in Genesis chapter 4. Now, death from old age does come, and it's talked about in Genesis chapter 5, but the first death in the Bible is when Cain murders his brother. And it is within the same section of the first mention of sin in the Bible. So, the Bible is introducing us here to the concept that Paul talks about greatly in Romans 5 and 6, that that sin leads to death. And what is the death that that Paul is concerned about, that the Bible is concerned about? It's this, this murderous violence, this violence towards other human beings. That is the type of death that God is most concerned about in the Bible. The type of death where Cain murders his brother Abel. Murder, or death through violence, is the true wages of sin, and the true type of sin and death that the Bible is most concerned about. I don't know if you know this. Did you know that the Bible is the most violent religious text in existence? I don't know if you've ever heard a pastor criticize the the Muslim Quran for being a violent religious text. And it is that. But if you compare number of passages which talk about violence, and even violence commanded by God, you know, God in the Bible telling his people to go out and kill people, versus in the Quran, Allah telling his people to go out and kill, kill other people. All right, if you compare those texts, the Bible, <laughs> the Bible wins in a, in a landslide. All right, now why is that? 
I believe it's because the Bible is trying to reveal to us that violence is the primary human problem. The Bible contains so much violence, beginning right here with Cain and Abel, because God wants us to see our face in the mirror of Scripture. Not so that we can follow these examples, these bloody violent examples, murder and bloodshed, all that. No, but so that we can be shocked and dismayed and horrified by what we see. If you read the Bible, all these murders and violence, all this bloodshed all over the place, you are shocked and dismayed and horrified by it. That is the proper way of reading Scripture. That's what the Holy Spirit wants you to see. And your own part in it to some degree. All right. So, in fact, it goes a little bit further than that. Note that the first murder, the first death in the Bible, it's not just a death, not just a murder. It is a fratricide, a murder of of a brother by another brother. It's a murder between brothers. This also is, is insightful and instructive. What Genesis is telling us by, by portraying the first murder, the first violence, the first death this way, is that all violence against a human being, all murders of another human being, is fratricide, is the murder between brothers, the murder of one brother murdering another brother. When we, when we, you know, when we, when we kill and destroy other people, when we go to war, we tend to think of the, the enemies as monsters, as evil people under the judgment of God. They deserve death and destruction, right? But when the first death occurs in the Bible, it is of one brother murdering another brother. And in this way, God is inviting us to see that all murder, all human violence, is between family members. God is wanting us to see that we're all part of the human family, and when we engage in violence against others, it is violence against members of our own family. All right, so, so the reason the first murder in human history, and yes, it happened, I believe it is historically true, but, but it's recorded this way, written this way, and recorded for us to show us this, is because all murder is fratricide. All people are brother and sisters, brothers and sisters, and so murder is a murder of a brother or a sister. So this actually brings us to the sixth and final revolutionary and foundational truth from Genesis 2, 3, and 4. I don't know if you recall those truths. haven't talked about them in a while. So um, let me summarize them quickly for you. Uh, first, here's the first one. Humans are built for relationships. We see this all over when God created Adam and Eve. He, he made them male and female. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. All right, so uh, the, the image of God in humans is not a you, it's not a me, it's not an I, it's an us, all right? It's a them. So, and then God tells them to be fruitful and multiply, all right? So, from the beginning, humans are made for relationships. Not a super revolutionary truth so much, but it is very important to understand the rest. Second, then, the second revolutionary and foundational truth is that humans are made to imitate, uh, we're, we're imitative creatures. You sometimes hear people say, monkey see, monkey do. Well, that's true of humans as well. We learn through imitation. And this truth is fundamental to human development. 
to understanding how culture works, how society functions. We see it all over the place in Genesis 2, Genesis 3. God tells Adam and Eve to basically imitate him, to do what they saw him doing in creation. All right, And, of course, Eve imitates, and then uh, ultimately she wants to imitate God in gaining the wisdom of God. And uh, that leads us to the third revolutionary and foundational truth. Imitation leads to desire. All right, Eve saw the fruit that it was desirable to make one wise. She was imitating God, that's good, but then she wanted to imitate God in a way that he should not be imitated, and that was with his knowledge, his wisdom. All right, and uh, this is what happens in humanity as well. When we, because of imitation, when we want to imitate others, it awakens a desire to be like others, and that's okay, but desire has a dark side, which leads to this next foundational truth. The fourth revolutionary foundational truth is that desire creates rivalry, all right? When Eve desired the wisdom of God, she entered into a rivalry with him, trying to obtain that which should not be obtained. And that's what happens with us as well. When we desire something else, especially if there is limited supply, then a rivalry is created. Uh, Sometimes a rivalry exists when, say, two men are desiring the same woman as their wife. Or two people, say, to one Republican, one Democrat is trying to achieve the same political office, right? Presidential election going on right now. Voting here in like four days from the time you listen to this. Um, Gain the same power, same privilege, same position, same possession, whatever it is. Rivalry. All right? And so when this rivalry occurs, the primary tactic we use to gain first place, to gain the victory in this rivalry, is accusation, finger-pointing, blame, scapegoating. That's the fifth foundational revolutionary truth. We see Adam and Eve do it. They, God comes along and says, hey, what's going on here? And they end up blaming each other. Adam even ends up blaming God. So uh, they're scapegoating God, scapegoating, blaming, accusing each other. That's the fifth foundational revolutionary truth. Ultimately, this accusation and blame, if it goes far enough, we dehumanize other people, we demonize them, and that desire overtakes us, it enslaves us, and as Paul says in Romans 5, it ends up leading us to kill our brother. That's the, what we see here in Genesis 4.8. This is the sixth revolutionary and foundational truth. Desire leads to rivalry, which leads to death. All right? You go back and you look in history, you look in your own life, you look at current events, you will see this pattern, this structure repeated over and over and over. You know, if I see what you have, you know, it might be position, it might be power, it might be possessions, I desire it for myself, so I enter into a competition with you to get it. And of course, when you see that I want to get what you have, that causes you to desire it all the more. Our desire for that object is now we're feeding. Our imitation is feeding off one another. And eventually this rivalry will lead us to start accusing and blaming each other of all sorts of horrible things until eventually one of us lashes out at the other with violence. It might be only a slap or an insult or something at first, but eventually those small acts of violence can lead 
to murder or to death. So, and that's the sixth revolutionary foundational truth. We see it here in Genesis 4.8. Uh, in fact, they're, they're found all over the place in Scripture, but all six really are found right here in Genesis 4 as well. All right, the first three verses are show that humans are built for relationships. Adam and Eve have children. Then, when Abel sees Cain bring an offering, he imitates his older brother and brings an offering of his own. That's imitation. But then Cain sees his brother bring an offering, and he thinks that Abel is trying to take over his perceived role as the savior of the family, as the one who will liberate and bring his family back into the garden. And so this causes desire to rise up in Cain, to keep that role for himself. And this desire causes Cain to enter into a rivalry with his brother. That's verses 6 and 7. This is what God warns Cain about. Now, we don't see the accusation, the blame, and the scapegoating, really, until 4.9, where God and Cain have a little discussion. Uh, Cain essentially blames God for causing the problem in the first place. So that's where the accusation and scapegoating comes in. But anyway, here in verse 8, then, we see that sixth and final foundational truth, that the desire, the rivalry, the accusation, it led Cain to kill his brother, Abel. And as I said, this cycle is repeated over and over throughout all of history. Start looking around for it in your life, in the news, okay, in politics, in economics, the way nations interact with each other. Just with your spouse or your children or your parents, you're gonna, with your people at work, you're going to see it everywhere. The cycle is so prominent, by the way, some sociologists and historians say that this cycle is what forms the foundation of culture and civilization. They say that without this cycle, culture and civilization could not exist, <laughs> which is interesting because Genesis 4 says the same thing. After Cain murders his brother Abel, we'll look at this in a future podcast episode, he goes off and he founds a city. And then the cycle continues with Lamech at the end of the chapter, right? So we see the foundation of civilization, which follows this, these six revolutionary foundational truths, all right? Uh, Genesis is pointing us to this and saying, this is how society works. This is how culture functions, all right? And, and by the way, the cycle is repeated over and over and over in Genesis. Uh, rivalry, accusation, death is all over in Genesis. Think of Abraham and Lot. Now, they don't end up killing each other, uh, which is good. It doesn't always lead to that. But then there's Isaac versus Ishmael, Jacob versus Esau, Joseph versus the 11 brothers. They try to kill Joseph, right? They think he's going to kill them, right? The beauty of Genesis is that it begins with this imitation leading to desire, rivalry, scapegoating, and death in Cain and Abel. And then it shows us this cycle over and over, often between brothers throughout the book of Genesis. But with each cycle, we're seeing that God is moving us closer to an alternative way of dealing with rivalry and violence. The human way is with death. That's what Cain gives into. But when we get to Joseph and his 11 brothers at the end of the book, Joseph forgives. And that also is the way of Jesus. The way out of this cycle is forgiveness. There's only two ways out. We either murder, engage in violence against our brother, or we forgive our brother. 
And that really ultimately is the message of the Bible. Jesus came, Paul talks about this in Romans, but it's all over in the gospel. Jesus came, first of all, to reveal this cycle to us. He submitted himself to it, let us kill him. All the scapegoating and imitation, rivalry, violence, all of that is all over, the, you know, all over in the Gospels. And then, rather than retaliate from the cross, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus refused to engage in this cycle himself and instead showed us the other way out, which is forgiveness. This entire insight, by the way, summarized very succinctly by James, the brother of Jesus, in James, he writes, uh, verses, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he says, But each one is tempted, right, when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Very similar to what God said to Cain in verse 7. But then James continues, And then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see it? Desire leads to sin. Sin leads to death. Exactly as we see here in Genesis 4, 6, and 8. And James is writing this in the context of, of uh, violence uh, and, and uh, these, these arguments that are breaking out among Christians in, in, the, ch- in the church. Okay? So, and, and, and James is saying, be careful, because if you let this desire and sin and rivalry continue, it will lead to death. The death of your brother exactly as we see here in Genesis 4, 6, and 8. All right. I think you get the idea. These six revolutionary foundational truths, they're revealed so clearly here in Genesis. They're revealed in the Gospels. They're revealed in Paul's letters. They're revealed in the book of James. They're revealed all over the place in Scripture. And we must understand this cycle, these six truths, if we're going to understand why Jesus came what Jesus revealed through his life, ministry, death, and resurrection, and what he wants us to do about it, how he wants us to stop giving into that cycle more and instead offer forgiveness to others. I don't know if you've uh, read my book, The Atonement of God. If you want to read a little bit more about this, you can uh, get a copy of the book on Amazon. I, I write about this, this idea in that book. It will also come up in future podcast episodes and future, in fact, in my course. Not the course that's there now, Gospel According to Scripture, but I am at work, hard at work on the second course, which which you can see the name of by going to redeeminggod.com slash courses. It's called the Gospel Dictionary. Anyway, in there, I'm giving you 52 keywords of the Gospel, that second course. One of them, of course, is scapegoat. And... Satan, the accuser. We talk about uh, imitation, right? We talk about all this. This is so central to understanding the gospel. So uh, make sure that you become a member of RedeemingGod.com. If you go to that courses page, it says the courses are $299. Please, please, please don't pay that. That's just the base price for it. If someone really wants to pay that, of course I'll take it. But let me save you a bunch of money. All right, if you become a free member which is the faith membership on my site, redeeminggod.com, then you can take the course for $97. Better yet, though, you become a hope or love membership level, and uh, you can take all my courses for free. And the hope membership level is only $9 a month. It's a screaming deal. 
15 hours of audio teaching in this first course. Uh, this second course is looking like it's going to be close to 50 hours. That's five zero hours. Get that for $9 a month. Anyway, help you understand the gospel as well. Understand forgiveness. Understand these six foundational truths. Understand scripture and Jesus and love and grace and mercy. Know that you have eternal life. All these wonderful things. Anyway, to learn more about these, just go to redeeminggod.com slash courses and uh, pick the one, the gospel according to scripture, to learn more about that. Help you know whether or not you want to take it. As for myself, I hope to see you there. Uh, Either way, I can't wait to meet you back here next week when we pick back up with Genesis 4-9. And if all goes well, I'm going to be picking up the pace as well now that we've gotten through these six foundational truths. I think, I hope, we can go a little faster. (laughs) But I've tried that in the past. It never seems to work. You know me, I always got too much to say. All right, well, we'll see you next time and we'll see how we do and how far we get picking up with Genesis 4-9.